You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 172. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, an educator, and wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a long time, do me a big giant favor and go to the Purple iTunes podcast app and leave best and wealth a review. I would greatly appreciate that. Now, today's topic of the day is how much do you need to save for retirement? What's your number? What's the pile of cash, the amount you will need in order to retire? But before we get to the topic of the day, I need to discuss something with you that's been eating away at me now for a couple of months. And forgive me, if I've brought this up before, because I may have, I just don't remember. And that's just how much it's eaten away at me. And I just need to get over it. So this is me for the last time complaining about it. So I can get over it. What is it you ask? Well, some of you may know that I turned the big five zero in April and now we're almost two months past my birthday and I still can't get over what happened two weeks before that. Two weeks before, I'm minding my own business, going to work, coming home, cooking dinner, probably Ubering my kids around to their activities, taking the dog for a walk and doing what I usually do. I get the mail. No big deal. I mean, what really comes in the mail right now? Mostly junk. Wednesdays, we get the ads for the grocery stores, but almost everything I do right now is paperless. So I get very little in the mail that's meaningful. But I get a couple of pieces of mail every day. I grab them. I don't really look. I continue to take my dog for a walk. My dog who's probably barking at the dog that we're walking next to because my dog's really not that good. In fact, she is good. She's just not great. And most of the time, she's not even good. But we love her. Anyway, I get in the house I go through the first piece of mail, nothing junk, and here's the next one, inviting me to become a member of the club, the AARP club, and I about passed out just looking at it, thinking, boy, what a reminder that I'm getting old. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. What's your number? How much do you need to save for retirement? This is an often talked about topic. And by the way, I'm glad I got that off my shoulder about the AARP. And really, we're going to stay in a hotel next week for my daughter's volleyball tournament. And I see where I can click on a little button and get a discount if I were an AARP member. 
and get a discount at the hotel, renting a car. So maybe I just need to get over myself. Okay, back to the topic. What is your number? I'm telling you, it's the question I'm asked all the time. Pre-retiree comes into the office and says things like, Scott, how much do I need? And this is before I know anything about their life. Is it 1 million, 2 million? What's the number? And it's not only that, it's what does everybody else have? What's everybody else that's retiring as a client in your firm, Scott? What is their number? Is it 500,000? Is it 5 million? And not only that, they talk to their neighbors about it and their neighbors might say, well, I'm going to need $4 million to retire. And then the person next door is like, oh man, maybe I need $4 million to retire. What is that number? Often we get confused and we think that everybody's got the same number. And that is so far from the truth. The truth is we all have our own number because it depends. It depends on four big factors that we're going to go over today. Because I'll tell you, some people come in my office with well over a million dollars into the two, three, four, five. And after I discover everything about their life, I have to look them in the eyes and say, I don't think you're ready to retire. You need a larger number. Why? Well, because they got a big house on the lake here in Wisconsin. They got condos in different countries and big luxurious cars, a very, very high standard of living, high lifestyle. They're not ready. Their number isn't where it should be. And then I get another couple walking in the door and house is paid off, no debt whatsoever, social security right around the corner, but they don't even have a million dollars. They may have half a million. And the cool thing about that is, is I get to look them in the eyes sometimes and say, why are you still working if you can't stand your job? And it's not healthy for you, mentally or physically. It's time for you to retire. And those are the good parts of my job. But look, that's a huge span. Someone comes in the office with 500000 and someone comes in the office with $5 million And the $500,000 couple, I say you're ready. And the $5 million, I say you're not. And why is that? Why is that gap so big? And if you're thinking to yourself, I already know the four factors you're going to talk about, Scott, and what makes up your own personal number, then I got to look back at you and maybe not you specifically, but a lot of people out there that want a specific number without knowing much about their life. So let's go through these four factors so we can come up with our own number. And the first factor is how much will you spend? So big, but so important. And you might be looking at yourself right now going, I don't know what I spend on a monthly basis. Furthermore, what I spend in retirement is going to be different than what I spend now. So there's two parts of this equation. One, you may have never had a spending plan before, even though podcast after podcast, I've been telling you to get a spending plan, whether you're in debt or have a whole bunch of money and are already in financial freedom. But even if you have a spending plan, how is that going to differ in retirement? Well, the rule of thumb is that you'll need about 80% of your pre-retirement income. I mean, when you leave your job, 
different things are going to happen. And keep in mind, this 80% is really flexible too. The 80% rule comes from the fact that you'll no longer be paying taxes towards Social Security. When money comes out of your pre-tax accounts in retirement, it does count as income. But you don't have to pay the 7.15% of Social Security and Medicare taxes. So right now you're down, if I just average it out from 100% of pre-retirement, you're down to 93. So why else or what else gets me down to the 80%? Well, hopefully you're at the later stages maxing out your 401k. If you're maxing out your 401k, that could be another 10, 15, some couples that come in here, 25% of your income. So if we look at those two numbers alone, we're bringing you down close to that 80%. And there's other things you'll save on, like the cost of going to work or new clothing for work or dry cleaning bills or commuting expenses, et cetera, et cetera. But the real answer should be, you need a spending plan to figure out what you'll need. Couples that come in here that aren't exactly sure, we do a spending plan together on everything they're spending today. And we have that in one column. And then we make another column to look at retirement expenses. Because although we might not be saving in the 401k, and we might not be having to pay social security taxes any longer, there may be other things that we're going to spend our money on or that we're going to spend more of than we did in pre-retirement. And one is travel, especially in the first five years of retirement. When you're a little more nimble, a little more flexible, can take those long European vacations or whatever it is you want to do. So let's have a spending plan because everybody's different. Like I said, the couple that walked in, they didn't have a house payment. They live frugally. They don't have a car payment. They had no debt. You couldn't get them to go to a nice restaurant and spend $150 on a meal. That's just not them. They're ready to retire. They're a lot different than the spending plan of the couple that has $5 million and has multiple mortgages, multiple car payments, and they're eating at the fancy restaurants every single night. So we need to. We'll never know what our number is, and our number can never be the same as our neighbor's if our spending habits are completely different. So the number one piece of advice I can give you as a pre-retiree is figure out what that retirement budget looks like. That's what we do with all our clients here at Fortress Planning Group. We make a goals-based plan. We have all of those living expenses that are needed on a monthly, a bi-monthly, a quarterly, an annual basis, including property taxes if the house is paid off, et cetera. And then we break off other modules like healthcare. That expense is going to be different pre-retirement as post-retirement, especially early retirees that aren't 65 yet and eligible for Medicare. For some of my pre-retirees, we need to go through these healthcare modules. Can we utilize the Affordable Care Act? Can we utilize COBRA for a while? Will that get us to age 65? What does private insurance look like and what are average costs? We model that all into the plan to come up with a good spending plan. And then we have the other goals too, like vacation, like replacing your car every three or seven or five years, like other big expenses, like buying that cottage up north or that dream boat or whatever it might be. 
how much will you spend in retirement? That's factor number one. Here's factor number two. How much will you earn on your investments? Now, I know what you're thinking, Scott. How will I know? The stock market's erratic. We have no idea. And while that is true, we do know some things. We know that for stocks, especially the S&P 500, it's averaged around 10% the last 95 years. And different people have different risk levels. And different people have different ways that they are earning money in retirement, such as social security, pensions, part-time jobs. There's a lot of people that don't even need to tap into their savings. There's other people that are fully dependent on their savings as a supplement monthly check in order to do what they want to do in retirement. And furthermore, different people have different risk levels. So for my retired couples, nobody's in 100% stocks except for the people who know they're not going to spend all their money and we staunch off other buckets of money with higher risk levels for their kids or whoever else because that money's not going to even be touched during their retirement. But even among the money that's going to be used to fund retirement, my retirees at Fortress Planning Group have different risk levels. The riskiest sit at about a 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bond portfolio. But remember, Some stocks are riskier than others. Some bonds are riskier than others. Other retirees don't have 60% stock, 40% bond. They may have more like 60% bond, 40% stock. That risk level is less. We will expect a lower return in the long run. So part of the equation of figuring out what your number is, is how are we going to allocate that money in retirement? And then are we going to use those things that I talk about in other podcasts like strategic rebalancing and householding your account and strategic drawdown strategy, those kinds of things? Because all of that adds value to your portfolio. And if you're doing those things, there's a chance that you can earn more on your investments by doing a bunch of the little things. So while it's impossible to know what your average rate of return will be in retirement. When we look at portfolios and we see the percentage that's in stocks, the percentage that's in value versus growth, the percentage that's in large versus small and profitable and unprofitable, we can come really close to what we think your return will be before expenses and plan from there. That's factor number two. How much will you earn on your savings? That's why you're different than your neighbor next door. Their risk level is different. Their sources of income are different. So it depends. What about factor number three? How long will you live? This is a big one. When we're planning for retirement, it's not only the age that you're going to retire, whether it's 50 or 60 or 65 or 70. It's how long are we going to plan for retirement? Some people plan until you're 110. There's a very small chance that you will live until 110. It's probably not in your best interest to plan that far out, especially if you want to die broke, if you want to spend all of your money or at least a good portion of your money. But the opposite of that is danger as well. Only planning until you're 80 or 82. Because when I ask people how long they think they're going to live, guess what? Just about everyone 
thinks that they're going to die sooner than the average person. And that simply can't be because of the average life expectancy of human beings. So a good thing too is to first is to discuss what is your health condition like? That could have a factor of planning longer or shorter. Are you a smoker? Second, what about your parents? What was their health history like? Did they live longer than the average person in their day? Or are they still living? And are they healthy? And what about your grandparents? You see, when I don't know anything about somebody's health history, I would think planning to about 93 is a good place to start. Why? Because there's at least a 30% chance that you'll live till 90. And if you're married, that goes up. How long will you live? That's got a big determining factor on how much you need in retirement. How long are you planning for? Rule of thumb, 93. Some people think that's too aggressive. You should be more conservative and planning until 100. But don't sell yourself short. You're probably living longer than what you think. And you'll be in big trouble if you only plan until 80 or 82. But that brings up the point to your neighbor. Your health history is different. They might be planning longer or shorter than you are. They may not have all the information. So don't rely on your neighbor when your neighbor says he needs $2 million in order to retire. That might be his number, but it certainly is not your number because we don't know how much they're going to spend. We don't know how much they're going to earn on their investments because of their risk level. We don't know how long they're going to live. And finally, factor number four, how much can you withdraw from your savings every year? Those people with a riskier portfolio, and I'm not talking 100% stocks, but probably can afford to take a higher percentage out each year than those that have a very conservative portfolio. So that greatly depends on what your final number is. The first studying done on how much can you take out of your portfolio, how much can you withdraw, was done in 1992 by a guy named Bengdon. He coined the 4% rule. What is the 4% rule? It states that if you have a million dollars, year number one in retirement, you can take out 4%. That's 40,000 bucks. What about year two? Well, year two, you take a raise, whatever inflation was. So if inflation was 5% the first year, 5% of 40,000 is 2,000 bucks. So year two, you're taking 42,000 out, not 40,000. And each and every year you take a raise. That means that after 10 or 20 years, well, you're not taking 40 grand out anymore. You might be taking 60 or 70 grand out, depending on where inflation turns out. And the rule, the Bengdon study was if you do that and you have a 50 stock, 50 bond portfolio, that you have a really good chance of not running out of money. In fact, about a 93% chance. And Bengdon figured this out by doing rolling monthly 30 year returns looking in the past and found that 93% of these trials, you didn't run out of money. Seven of them you did. So watch that. Know that any rule of thumb is just a rule of thumb and everybody's different. Furthermore, the study showed that the median trial, you ended up with roughly the amount that you started with. So half of the trials, you started with a million, you ended with a million plus with a lot of those trials, well over a million. So again, it's just a rule of thumb or you're leaving a lot of money on the table, potentially, 
on how much you can spend in retirement. Are you going to be flexible? If you're flexible, well, you probably don't need as high as a number. Other things can affect your withdrawal rate as well. Other studies have been done by Guyton and Kitsis and others that state that, hey, use the 4% rule, but if you don't take an inflation adjustment during bear markets or recessions or even years when the market is negative, now you can afford to take more than 4% out. And if you start with a million and that portfolio gets down to 800,000, you have the flexibility to take a 10% pay cut from whatever you're taking out that particular year. Well, now maybe you can move from four and a half to 5%. See, there's different rules that allow you to take more or less. Having the flexibility is awesome. That really helps a portfolio out. When you're inflexible, when you have to have a certain amount, then you're probably going to have to take out less and have your percentage inch down a little bit because you can't afford to be flexible because there's bills you have to pay each and every month. That 4% rule can be very conservative for a lot of people, which is why all it is is a rule of thumb. The best thing you can do is stay dynamic and be ready to change and have the flexibility to change. So what about you? What is your number? Well, one thing you know (laughs) is that it's different than your neighbors. It's different than your mom and dad's. It's different than your buddies because there are four factors that make it impossible for your number to be the same as your neighbors. I mean, how much are you actually going to spend in retirement? If you don't know, figure it out. Because otherwise, saving in your number, it's meaningless. Let's start building some goals around what you're going to do. Now it makes your number, especially when you cross those, like now I got 500,000, now I have a million, now I have 2 million. It makes those numbers so much more meaningful. Second, how much are you going to earn on your savings? How risky are you going to be? And then start looking at some historic averages and work your way down from there. Factor three, how long are you going to live? Don't sell yourself short. But don't go planning until 110. Let's discuss and figure out the planning time period that's best for you. And finally, how much are you going to be able to take out of that portfolio on a monthly basis? Are you going to follow the rules of Bangden or Guyton or your own set of rules? Because it all matters when it comes to your specific number. And that's the point of this entire podcast is that don't go asking somebody or your advisor what your number should be if they don't know everything about you right now, including the kinds of things that you're going to do in retirement and your risk level and how much you're going to spend. All of those things matter. And now (laughs) I got to go. Why? Because I think it's time. I think it's time for me to put up and shut up. I'm 50 and I feel good and I look good. So I'm going to go run out and I'm going to go get my AARP card today. (laughs) You guys all have one fantastic week and I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye everybody. The best. 
Best in Wealth podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.